to chapter 2, verse 14. If you could turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We're continuing in our series on the local church, the church. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? Who are we as members of the church? And Julie Hiles is going to read from Acts 14, Acts 2, 14 to 41. So let's put our listening ears on. It's a long text, but let's try to receive the word of God here this morning. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and those who and those and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Amen. I bet you're sitting there going, now how is this guy gonna preach a thirty-five minute message from that text? <laughs> I'm wondering the same thing. But uh, he, this is an exciting time in redemptive history. Uh, this is a continuation of the day that Mark preached on last week uh, when the Spirit fell on the 120. But I just want to take a moment and say, some, think about what it must have been like for those 120 when they woke up that morning. Jesus had been crucified a few weeks ago. They had seen him. He had shared things with them. He told them they were to go into the nations and make disciples of all nations. He had been raised up uh, into the sky. And when he was doing that, he said, you shall be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And just imagine you're 120 people, five weeks later, waiting. And you just think, how is this going to happen? He's depending on us to reach the world. And then the day of Pentecost arrives and the Holy Spirit falls on each of them, filling them. Remarkable things begin to happen. As Mark said last week, the Spirit falls and they become a spirit-filled community of worshipers. Jesus' disciples received the promised Holy Spirit and began to worship the living God for his great work of salvation. And remarkably, all the pilgrims in Jerusalem heard them doing this in their own language. And seeing them, it's recorded, they asked, what does this mean? What does it mean? So what did Jesus' disciples do? The next thing we see happen on Pentecost is that out from this new spirit-filled community of worshipers, the ministry and work of Jesus Christ is actually begun to be made known. Peter, as one of the apostles trained by Jesus, is the first to model the mission of the church. Peter's speaking to a particular audience, these Jewish believers for the holiday in, in Jerusalem in a particular context. And for those of you who know the story in the book of Acts, you'll see different men and women as they share the gospel in different contexts. They'll, they'll share it differently in, in different cultures, different strategies and uh, different ways to communicate. But wherever spirit-filled communities are being formed, we see the gospel going forth through various members of that community. And that's really uh, it's significant. And what's important is... Uh, the reason that happens is because Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community that declares the gospel. You know, it's, uh, the story doesn't stop here on Pentecost. It doesn't just empower the early church and inspire them to praise and exalt God and turn this frightened group of men and women into proclaimers sharing the gospel. But this story is so very personally compelling because we are part of it. You and I actually are Jesus' disciples. We're heir heirs and descendants of these first Christians, the result of the faithfulness of Christians throughout the generations, and ultimately the faithfulness of someone in your life and in my life. That's because Jesus' disciples are a spirit-filled community that declares the gospel. And as Jesus' disciples were filled with the same spirit and proclaimed the same gospel that these first disciples 
proclaim, we are called to be a community that displays and and declares the gospel. Now, not all of us are going to be standing up and preaching to thousands. I'm sure you're relieved of that this morning. This This is not a model that all of us have to follow directly. But we're all called to be witnesses out of the life that we live as the people of God. Sharing our faith and helping others to know Christ is very rewarding. But it also, as I think you probably can imagine and admit, it's one of the more challenging things we're called to do as Christians, isn't it? But it's also one of the most encouraging things we get to do. And I just want to ask you as we get started, have you been part of helping someone to understand who Jesus is and why what he did when he came is so significant to them. Have you seen friends or relatives be transformed by the message of the forgiveness of sins and the love of God poured out through Christ Jesus? Have you seen the amazing change of life that occurs? It's incredibly wonderful to see people realize who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And I believe God wants us to experience more and more of these experiences as a church family. I really do. I sincerely believe that. And uh, this portion of scriptures, God is showing us that our spiritual heritage and our inheritance is to be a spirit-filled community that declares the gospel. So let's examine how and what Peter shares as he declares the gospel so we can learn how and what God is calling us to as we seek to be a spirit-filled community that shares the gospel within our neighborhoods, within our schools, within our universities, within our families. And so first, the transforming power of the Spirit. Jesus' disciples receive power to declare from the Holy Spirit. They receive power to declare the gospel. So Peter's standing there with the 11. It seems that others are involved in sharing too. If you look at verse 37, um, they stand up in front of this huge crowd. He stands up in front of this huge crowd. We don't know how many people are there, but... If you do the math, 3,000 people were saved, so there's probably more than 3,000 people there, right? So imagine that. That's, you know, that's pretty scary. You're standing in front of a multi-thousand group of people. That's remarkable for anyone to do that. People talk about this, the fear of standing in front of people and talking. And um, what makes it really remarkable, though, is when you think about Peter and these disciples just a few weeks before. Do you remember the story? We just finished the Gospel of Mark. The night that Jesus was actually turned into the authorities, Jesus spoke and he, he predicted, you guys are going to abandon me. And, you know, of course, they all kind of hemmed and hawed there, but there was one guy that stood up and said, hey, these other guys might abandon you, Jesus, but not me. I won't deny you. And you know who that was? That was the man speaking on this day, Peter. And if you follow the story, he follows Jesus as he's carried into the sort of uh, place where he's being interrogated. And he's sitting out by a fire, and this intimidating soldier comes. No, it wasn't an intimidating soldier. It was a young girl comes and says, you you know Jesus, don't you? You know him. He's your friend. You were with him. You're a Galilean. You have the same accent as the northern people, so you must know him. And three times, he said no. At the end, he said, I don't even know the man. Can you imagine the shame in his heart? A moment of need. 
He denies even knowing him. Three years he spent with Jesus, calling him master, Lord, teacher, even at one point recognizing him as the Messiah, even though he didn't understand. What's the difference between that day, five weeks earlier, and this day? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come and filled him. And you know what the Holy Spirit does when he fills us? He deepens our understanding of what Jesus did. It helps us to understand who Jesus is. He, he helps us to love Jesus and appreciate his love for what he's done. And Jesus had, after he'd been resurrected, shared with him a Bible study showing him how he fulfilled the Old Testament. And probably that's where he's getting a lot of the content of this sermon right here. But the Holy Spirit deepened his love for Jesus and made him aware of what Jesus had done for him. And so much so that he, he's now standing in front of 3,000 people. That's a remarkable transformation. It's, it's incredible, really. And um, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we're going to be declaring the gospel. And, um, you know, when I hear this story and... Uh, and I think of the way we share the gospel oftentimes. And, 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 and we talk about sharing the gospel. We're going to talk about the content of the gospel in just a minute here. But there's often, when you talk about sharing and, and sharing your faith in the community, I, I have, whenever I have a conversation with someone, I often hear someone say, like I, in the new members class this morning, someone said this, I find it's really helpful to just be friends with people. To, not, not for anything in mind, just to love people. And that really opens the door to the gospel. And that's true. That is absolutely true. That's how we create bridges in our lives to other people's lives. If we love them and we develop trusting, trusting relationships with them, they open their hearts to us and they listen to us. And we can share the things out of our lives that are important to us. Isn't that true? I, I remember a story in my former church. I, I don't like to share current stories of evangelism because sometimes people I'm talking about the gospel come to the meetings and I don't like to use people that I know as illustrations, but I'll tell you a story from a few years ago. In my old church, there was a businessman and he had, he was just no, nothing extraordinary about him. He was a regular guy, Christian man who loved Jesus. He was in church every Sunday, went to his community group, was participating in the community, but nothing extraordinary about him except he was a really good friend. And he had a businessman who came to his store he had a store in the mall, and he would supply him with things, and he became friends with him and his wife, and in their marriage, they began to have problems. They separated, and this man actually started dating and was dating another woman. And that's when we need power, isn't it? When friends of ours are just not obeying the Lord, their lives are coming apart at the seams, that's when we need power. And so this man, filled with the Spirit, broke the sound barrier and began to share the good news with him. Not beating him over the head with it, but just, you know, Christ might be helpful to you at this time in your life. And I'll, I'll finish the story as we get to the end of the message, but being a Spirit-filled community means that we build relationships with people and we are willing to break the sound barrier. Let them know we're Christians. Let them know that, you know... We, we, we go to church and then open the door so we can begin to share the gospel message with them. And 
We're going to see the message that Peter preaches because this leads to our second point. Jesus' disciples declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And because, you know, it's one thing to build friendships, and that's wonderful. We, it's, God wants us to love others as we love ourselves. He wants us to love him more. But if we really love someone and we love God, who has sent Jesus Christ, his son, because he loves the world. It's just a question. Wouldn't we want to share Jesus with everyone? If Jesus is really who he says he is, and if we really believe that our eternal destiny is dependent upon knowing him and responding to him, wouldn't love always lead us to want to share the gospel? We, we might not have the opportunity with everyone, but I'm just talking about our hearts. Our hearts. But we still, we have to share something, right? So what do we share? What do we share? What is the gospel message? And I always do this in the new members class. I always start with, what is the gospel message? And we have an example here. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs and that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Now, Peter, and I'm, I'm gonna just have to skim this part. Um, there's so much that could be said here. There's so much rich theology in this section. And uh, if I'm going to do what you just wondered if I could do, I'm going to have to go quick. But let me just say, we need to know what the gospel message is. And Peter gives us an example here. And so I'm just going to give you three little stepping stones, if you will. And when you think about sharing the gospel, you can come back here and just follow Paul, Peter's stepping stones. Okay? So first... Jesus is a man from Nazareth who did signs and wonders. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear this. Jesus of Nazareth is a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Jesus of Christ is a real man. He lived in history. That's where we start. He's not some fictional character. He's not a mythological character. He's not a story made up so we can think better about ourselves and live better lives. He's a real man who came to the earth and was born of a virgin, Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and began a ministry in which he did mighty works and wonders. We just read the book of Mark, and we see Jesus many times did these works. And when he did them, what does the disciples say? Who is this man? That was the theme to the whole book of Mark. Who is this man? And he did those to show that he was not just a man, but the Son of God come to the earth, and these works testify to who he is. So... He's a man from Nazareth who did signs and wonders. That's point one, if you're going to share the gospel. Number two, because it's a historical thing, and people need to know that Jesus is real. When I, I was talking, to my, I shared my testimony in Membership Explored this morning, and I told him when I was 18 and I was a freshman in college, I thought born-again Christians were the most ignorant people on the planet. They just believed in myths and false things. God's had to do something in my heart to show me that Jesus was real. And when I realized he was real and what he had done, it, it just wrecked me for just living a normal, everyday life just for this earth and for goods and pleasures on this earth. 
So Jesus is a man from Nazareth, a real man who did signs and wonders. Jesus was crucified, point number two. He was crucified, he died, and was raised from the dead according to God's plan. Look at verses 23 and 24. This is the heart of the gospel. This is God's plan. Peter wants the, his listeners to know that the crucifixion was not just a bad break for Jesus. Things didn't turn out in his life as he had hoped and planned. It's uh, Jesus died in accordance with God's eternal plan. And this is what Jesus told his disciples he would happen. He would be raised from the dead. It's in accordance with Scripture. We don't have time to go through all of Scripture, but you, you know, if you've been here for a while, if you've been studying the Scriptures, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's plan revealed in the Old Testament to send a saving Messiah to receive the sins of sinful humanity. And so it's God's plan. And part of what Peter's doing here is a cross was an act of humiliation and shame. The Roman government just wanted people to just think, don't do what this guy's doing. And he wants them to know, no, this was actually God's plan, that he would suffer on that cross for the sins of sinful men and women like you and me. So he was crucified, died, and he was raised from the dead to show that God had accepted that. And then he loosed the pangs of death because death could not hold him. The pangs of death there, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, we all fear death. And if you've ever been with someone who's died, it's not a pleasant thing. But if you've ever been with someone who's died in Christ, it's a totally different thing. I remember when I was a new believer, I was 18 and I was at a conference and I heard Louis Palau, who's a South American evangelist speak, and he got converted when he saw his father die because his father was not afraid. He went, he went into eternity praising the Lord. And it doesn't mean we all have to do it that way. But Jesus loosed the pangs of death because death could not hold him. And then finally, Jesus is both Lord, King, and Christ, Messiah, sitting at God's right hand. So you see this right through our text, verses 25 through 36. And I'm just going to summarize what is, takes place here. But Jesus quotes Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. David wrote both those Psalms. David received a promise from God the Father. That promise was that he would have a son that would sit on his throne forever. David wrote these Psalms about the coming king. David knew that his sons were going to die and he was going to die. And Peter says his tomb's right here. His body's decaying right here. So Peter explains that David wrote these psalms prophetically because he knew that there was going to be a Messiah who was going to be raised from the dead. And then he gets to Psalm 110. And he says this. After he says, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 34. And David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, Jesus had quoted this psalm to prove that David was speaking about him when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, Jesus was the my Lord. But now Peter quotes this psalm to say, he's the one who sits down at the right hand of the Father. And when he is exalted and raised from the dead, this is amazing. Just receive what Peter is saying here. 
when he is exalted and raised from the dead and ascends into heaven, he sits down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And now, he's not just the king of Israel. He's the king of the universe. He rules and reigns over the universe. God has made him both Lord, King, Lord, and Christ, Messiah, Savior. He's Messiah of Jerusalem. He's, he's Messiah. Let all the house of Israel know. He's, let all of Redeeming Grace Church know. Let all of Fairfax County know. Let all of, let all of the United States, let all of the world know. The Lord has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the Lord. He's the King. He's the second person of the Trinity, seated on God's throne. And brothers and sisters, what Jesus is and what he has done, we are now witnesses of. Because we have received a message from the Apostle Peter, and we get to declare this message. That's the message we declare. You know, in, in chapter four, Peter and the disciples were arrested, put in jail, they get out, and they're told, don't speak anymore in this name. And what do they say? You decide, this is what he says to the authorities. He says, you decide whether it's right for us to obey God or to obey men. But we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. So your experience of the gospel is, and your testimony of what Jesus Christ has done is what you speak about and testify to. That's why your testimony can be a way for you to share the gospel. But you've got to keep that gospel message because Jesus is ultimately the gospel. It's what he's done and who he is that is our gospel message. But once you've declared that or shared that with your friends and your family and your members, your, your, your neighbors, whatever it is, you're not finished. Because they need to know what are they supposed to do with this message? Jesus has done all these amazing things. He's the king of the earth. But what do we do with this message? And that's why he goes on in verse 37 to record what happened when they shared this message. And this leads to our third and final point. Jesus' disciples call people to repent and believe in Jesus. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So to those who received his word were baptized. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What happens after Peter shares the, the, the facts of the gospel? Luke records something very important for us to remember in verse 37. This is really, really important. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? You notice there's two actors in this story right there, aren't there? Peter shared the gospel, but there's another actor acting on these listeners. And who is that? You don't, I, I'm not, I know that's an awkward thing for a preacher to do, to ask a question because no one wants to yell out. But it's the Holy Spirit. He's bringing conviction of sin. 
And, and this is the way it always is when we share the gospel. We got to remember this. Peter shared the gospel, but the Holy Spirit brought conviction to the hearts because we're only called to explain the gospel and we're called to tell people they need to repent and believe. But when we're doing this, this is, this is a unique thing. We got we to grab our, get our heads around this if we're going to see people get saved. We call them to repent and believe, but we can't make them repent and believe. We have to be praying. We have to be asking God to open their eyes. Their eyes are blinded, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, by the, un, by the, the enemy. They can't see. You can tell them with the clearest words possible who Jesus is and what he's done. You can, you can share what repentance and faith are clearly, more clearly than even the Apostle Paul. You can. I mean, I, it's possible. I doubt you will, but it's possible. Some of you may be able to do that. But none of you, none of us, we can't help open someone's eyes. We can't cause them to feel conviction in their hearts, to see their sin as against God. Only the Holy Spirit. So in this text, we see, in this text, we see the two sides of calling people to respond to the gospel. And this is part of being a spiritual community that declares the gospel. Both sides. We, we must declare the gospel. We have a responsibility to declare the gospel and invite people to respond to the gospel. That's what it means to be a spiritual community that declares the gospel. We also must know how to help people cross the line. You know, I mentioned earlier in the new members class, even this morning, I did this. I said, okay, now I've been sharing the gospel with this guy, Justin. He's in my neighborhood. And Justin hears everything and he says to me, okay, Kenneth, I agree with you. I'd like to be saved. What do I need to do? If you're in that situation, what are you going to say to the person? Are you ready? Are you prepared? That's the goal, right? That's what we want. We want someone to say, how do I get, how do I get, I want to be saved. Are you equipped? I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. Let's learn from this text today so that we can be more equipped to be a community that declares the gospel. We need to be able to answer that question. Now, I want to go back to Mark because when Jesus introduces himself in the ministry in the Gospel of Mark, he actually answers this question in the same way that Peter does. I'm going to show you how these two things, how the, what Jesus says here ties to the text this morning. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Those are the two words we need to understand, repent and believe. We see these two ideas in our text this morning. Where do we see them? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Which one is that? That's faith, right? That's belief. And the other one is repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's repentance. We have to understand repentance and faith and how we call people to that if we're going to see people cross the line. And when we share what it means to repent and believe, we don't have to twist arms. We don't have to manipulate emotionally. The Holy Spirit's got to be the one who does the work. <coughs> Notice in our text, they were cut to the heart. Brothers and sisters, I have shared Christ with pe countless people. And many times I have walked through this process with them and shared with them repentance and faith, called them to repentance and faith, and it's like nothing. 
I'm not discouraged by that. It's not my, I just keep praying for him. And I keep talking to him. It's, it's, but just don't be surprised by that. If you're surprised by that, you're not used to doing it. Because it takes time. It's a process. It takes prayer. It takes humility. It takes being an ambassador for Christ, sharing God's invitation to receive what Christ has done for them. And you know, I've met with people over time, shared it sometimes three times, sometimes 10 times, and seen them come alive and understand repentance and faith and then give their life to Christ and have their life transformed. When it happens, it's a miracle. We're just ambassadors. That wonderful scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That's what it means to be a spiritual community that declares the gospel. We're just a room full of ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. We are the ambassadors of Christ to Fairfax County, to wherever you live, to your family. You live, while you live, you are an ambassador for Christ. No fancy ceremony other than you receiving the blood and work of Christ for yourself. And that commissions you to go and speak God's word to a lost and dying world. So what do you do? You tell them to repent. That means recognize that you need saving. You have sinned and you need forgiveness. Peter tells his listeners, you crucified Jesus. Some of those people there had actually crucified Jesus. They were part of the, the group. But when we share the gospel and we're talking to people, it's true. Whoever we're talking to, they crucified Jesus too. You did too. I did too. Our sins caused Jesus to go to that cross. He died for our sins. So in that sense, in that certain sense, we didn't actually weren't part of the, the group that convicted him and put him up on the cross or nailed him there, but it's our sins that held him there. You crucified him. And, and repentance is coming to recognize that you need a savior. So when you're talking to someone, I, it, it's going from Christ died for the sins of the world to what Paul says in Galatians 3, where he says, he loved me and gave himself for me. When it becomes personal, that's when it becomes real. That's repentance and faith in truth. Calling on the name of the Lord means considering and, and I think we need to get this more into our message, the great love of Christ. This is not just a command to repent. It's a command to believe and receive Christ who came. Why did he come? Because God so loved the world. It's because of God's love that Christ came to solve our problems. We do have problems and they need, we need to receive that to receive that work. But the motive of this whole plan is God's love. And, and, and love is much more motivating than fear. And when you realize God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for your sins, then you're ready to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Amen? Yeah. So let me go back to Mike. He'd been coming to a meeting that we held at our old church, like Christianity Explored, where we, we would have dinner together and we'd share different parts of the Bible. And we went away on a little retreat and we, we prayed and we had a, a time of prayer. And I was standing there praying with Mike and 
I said, Mike, do you, you've heard what it means to repent and believe. Are you ready to do that, knowing what it means? And there was just, I can't explain just the, the humility, the faith, the spirit working there. He, he just said, yes. And, and he invited, he said, he, he prayed that prayer from Mark 9, I believe, help my unbelief. And he received Christ and the Holy Spirit filled him. And I, I left this part out. His wife, who he wasn't living with, came to the class with him. Because she loved him and wanted him to hear the gospel. His friend invited them both to come out and they both agreed to come together. She's standing right there. And, you know, I don't know what your experience of salvation is, but sometimes, you know, like you're just saved and you're just saved, you know it. He was saved at that time. And he immediately, after that meeting, he started walking around the campus with his wife, beginning the process, which was, as you can imagine, somewhat complicated, but repenting and being restored. And they're married, serving in the church to this day. This is 20 years later. That's what the gospel does. Mike is saved because a community, a spirit-filled community, was willing to share the gospel with the people in their lives and work together as a community. Because we're going to talk about next week, you know, when God fills us with his Holy Spirit. He makes us living stones where we become a temple of the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit lives. And, and Lord willing, our lives together, broken, working hard, not always peaceful. <laughs> we, got, you know, we got our issues, but we grow together. And Vince is going to talk about the life of the Spirit together in our, our fellowship next week but it works together with the testimony. So here we see this day. What happens on this day we're reading about here? They woke up wondering how God would fill the earth with 120 of them, right? They went to bed. Notice what it says in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I think the evangelist in Peter was very happy. The pastor in him was overwhelmed. He, said, he was probably thinking, we got a lot of discipling to do. Now, uh, you know, I've never seen this kind of revival, but what was the difference from when they woke up to when they went to bed? They were filled with joy and they were living by the grace of God. They simply had received the spirit and began to become a community that declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to be, church. We want to be a church that exalts, displays, and declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let's pray together that we can do that. Let's pray that we can see, we can all participate. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us could somehow play a part in seeing someone come to Christ in the next year? There's no pressure in this, but wouldn't, wouldn't you love to be a part of that? Wouldn't you love to see someone cross the line in your relational network? I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray for us as a church here. And um, let's just, I want to pray and then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. 
Because when we receive the Lord's Supper, it's receiving what Christ has done for us. Let it fill us fresh with faith and the Spirit to be willing to be ambassadors, to be movable property, if you will, to be slaves of Christ, his servants. Lord, we thank you so much for this testimony of the first sermon in the church, Lord God. We thank you for what you did through Peter. We thank you for the testimony of his transformed life because like him, Lord, we're scared a lot of times when we think about sharing the gospel. We don't know what to say. And uh, sometimes you just wonder what's gonna happen. We pray you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit in a fresh way in this community. Lord, pour out your spirit on us in greater measure, in greater power, so that like Peter, we would understand what you have done and appreciate it so much that we want to tell others about it. And Lord, help us. Help us when there are open doors to break the sound barrier and just share some truth with our neighbors, friends, and coworkers. Help us, Lord God. Help us to be faithful men and women. We commit our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen.